Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Let it be Jesus. Wasn't that an amazing song? Powerful words. Powerful words. My first visit to the gym a few years ago was pretty intimidating. A friend of mine who is a personal trainer came along with me to get me going. And we started by using these weight machines that I'd never seen before, uh, and I didn't know how they worked. Uh, Joel talked about this circuit, and I pretended to know what he was talking about. Uh, The idea was to spend a few minutes on each machine that would work all the various muscle groups uh, as you went along, the circuit. So he walked me through the circuit, and then he took off and did something else, and uh, I went back to the very first machine and sat down and tried to lift the weights that I had lifted just a few minutes before on the tour. I grabbed hold of the handlebars and pulled the weight down, Nothing. I mean, nothing. It didn't, even, it didn't even budge. I'd worked on this machine just a few minutes ago on the tour, and it worked. And I felt really good about myself. But now here I'm sitting, and I'm holding on to these, trying so hard to pull the weight down. I glance over at this muscle-bound guy in a white wife beater. You know what I'm talking about? That T-shirt that just kind of... Let's your six-pack show. And he's looking at me like, you're pathetic, dude. So I tried harder. But the harder I tried, the worser I got. So I doubled my efforts. Again, nothing. Nothing happened. I thought my shoulder was going to separate. Sweating like a coal miner, I gave up in shame. I said, forget this. I can't do this. I looked down at the machine in defeat. Didn't want to look over to the muscle-bound guy in the wife-beater t-shirt. Just looked down. At that point, Joel came around and uh, said, what, what, what are you doing? You're still on the first machine. <laughs> you really are pathetic. Uh, so he looked it over, and somebody had pulled the pin out of the weights. And I didn't know it. I didn't know how to use the machine. and So here I was trying to pull like five or six hundred pounds, didn't move a bit. But I had given up. Some things are just too hard. Some weights are just too heavy to lift. And no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. You know where I'm going with this. And that's how the Old Testament law worked. That's how the Old Testament law still works. You can't keep every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law. You can't move it. You can't lift it. We think we can lift the weight by obeying God and being more sacrificial, surrendering every Sunday at the altar, and all these things that we do for Him. We think we can lift the weight by trying hard, really hard, to be a really, 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 really good person. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go to movies, I don't go with girls who do. 
None of that. I'm just going to try my hardest to be a really, really good person. And somehow, I think God will be happy with me. But you know what? It won't budge. It it won't move. It's too heavy. And the letter to the Galatian churches was written by the Apostle Paul to help the slaves of religion come out from under the heavy weight that they could not bear, that they could not lift. Not they or anyone else in history has been able to lift the heavy weight of legalism that we find there. So he tries to help them come out from under the heavy weight of legalism to find true freedom in Christ. You may recall that these new churches had been planted in the region called Galatia, And yet shortly after that, a group of Jewish Christian missionaries came along. They arrived in Galatia to correct the Apostle Paul's theology, because obviously he didn't have it right. These men came from Jerusalem. They were also known as Judaizers, and they preached a legalistic form of Christianity. They said, yes, it's important that you come to faith in Christ, but you also need to to still observe the Old Testament law. You still need circumcision, and you still need to observe all these Jewish festivals. They wanted the Gentiles to become Christians by also becoming Jews and observing the Old Testament law. You might remember how Paul responded to that mess Back in Galatians 1, verse 6, he said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And under the influence of this false teaching, because of the distortion that these people were bringing to the good news, some of the Galatians now were starting to squander their freedom in Christ, and their newfound faith. Some of them thought they had to be circumcised in order to become Christians. Others were saying that it was mandatory for them to celebrate Passover and all of the other Jewish festivals. And so, in an effort to prove that they were good enough, they became enslaved to all kinds of religious rituals. And that's where the Apostle Paul begins to respond to this chaos and confusion in the churches of Galatia and, I dare say, the churches of Windsor, Essex. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Please open your Bibles to that text. Galatians chapter 4. Use your Bible app if you have one. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. There we are. Chapter 4, verse 21. Paul writes, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. 
She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, you should know that some commentators, much to my chagrin in my study this week, said this is one of the most difficult passages of the New Testament to interpret correctly. So, if you don't agree with me, uh, it's probably because you have a different interpretation. But it's a, I labored under this passage. It's, it's a difficult passage to really grasp and understand and apply. So let's begin our study this morning with the historical background. To, to argue with the legalists on their own terms, Paul took an example from the book of Genesis. And uh, he begins this, this, uh, this argument in, in, in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 4. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So God promised to make Abraham a great nation. Remember that from the Old Testament reading. But Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children, and they were getting older and older and older. God had made this promise, but there's... There's nothing happening. Abraham was in his 80s, and he's starting to say, Lord, you like this is probably past hope by now. And when he gazed at the reflection in his pool, all he saw was a, you know, a gray hair and a, a long, scraggly white beard. Not much hope. And as hard as it was on Abraham, I suspect it was even harder for his wife, Sarah who prayed and prayed year after year after year that God would bless her with a child, and yet she remains childless. So finally, in the spirit of desperation, she says to Abraham, look, why don't you just go into my my servant girl, go into my maidservant and make a baby. Maybe, you know, we'll, we'll have offspring that way. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children from her. Well, the maidservant was an Egyptian woman named Hagar. She conceived, and she gave birth to a son whose name was Ishmael. So Ishmael is the son of a slave woman named Hagar. God also spoke to Abraham again and said in Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, I will bless her, And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So in other words, Abraham and Sarah, just be patient and trust God. Stop taking things into your own hands, because every time you take things into your own hands, you mess it up. 
Now, you've messed this up. You went into Hagar. Instead of trusting me with the promise I gave you, you took things into your own hands. You went and made a baby with a woman who's not even your wife. You dumkopf. I'm not sure God speaks German, but... Because of God's promise against all expectation, though, Sarah does conceive, right? She's 90 years old and gave birth to a son named Isaac. Now, Isaac, unlike Ishmael, Ishmael was born to a slave woman, and so he becomes a slave as a result. Isaac is born through promise, so he becomes a son of promise through his free mother, whose name is Sarah. Ishmael and Isaac were both sons of Abraham. Ishmael and Isaac both came from the same biological father. Ishmael and Isaac were both circumcised according to the law. Ishmael and Isaac both grew up in the same home. However, Ishmael's mother was a slave, and so he was born a slave. Isaac's mother was a free woman, so he was born free. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, there was a fundamental spiritual difference between these two boys, Ishmael and Isaac. One son was born by proxy, the other by promise. One was born by works, the other came by faith. One was a slave, the other was free. So, Ishmael and Isaac represent to Paul in Galatians chapter 4 two totally different approaches to religion. One by faith, the other by works. Law against grace, flesh against spirit, self-reliance against divine intervention. So which way you want to go? So that's the historical background, you see. And, and we need to understand that in order to understand what's coming next in Galatians chapter 4. So let's consider the spiritual allegory next. The author of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, clearly states that what he's about to say now could be interpreted allegorically. An allegory points to a hidden or symbolic meaning. Uh, in this instance, the two mothers and the two sons and the two mountains and the two covenants have, have different meaning. Particularly the two sons and the two mothers in this story have symbolic meaning on a different spiritual level than what appears at first. That's what an allegory is. It points to a hidden or symbolic parallel meaning. And so Paul takes these Old Testament stories and applies them in allegorical fashion to his present situation. Let's have a look. Galatians 4.24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, he says. These women are two covenants. Well, obviously they're not covenants, they're women but they represent or they picture these two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Yeah, okay. 
So what? While we're still trying to understand the allegory, say, hang with me. Are you with me? Say to your neighbor, I'm with him. Okay, good. I just want to have that affirmation. Phil doesn't have any neighbors up here. and There might be a reason for that, Phil. And it's because you're sitting in the front row. Okay. The easiest way to sort this out is to start where Paul starts. With two women and two sons. They are literal people who actually lived on the earth and their story is told in the book of Genesis. We, we just saw that. What happens next is that Paul looks back on these historical persons and draws certain conclusions from them. So in essence, he sees a, a huge difference between Sarah, the free woman, and Hagar, the slave woman. And you can, just, you can just follow the differences down the chart there. Sarah represents grace. Hagar represents law. Sarah stands for trusting God alone. And Hagar stands for, for trying to please God through your own efforts. You've got to keep this rule and that rule and this regulation, that regulation. And the sons born to them represent the way of faith, Isaac. And the way of works, Ishmael. So thus you have real people. You, you have very real people who nevertheless stand for or point to or, or represent certain spiritual truths. That's an allegory. So when you boil it down, when you boil it down, Paul is saying Sarah is in the line of faith and Hagar is in the line of works. And all of humanity stands in one of those two lines. There isn't a third line. This is not like Great Canadian Superstore where you've got a hundred options. You're either in the line of faith or the line of works. You're either in the line of Sarah or the line of Hagar. You're either in the line of Isaac or the line of Ishmael. There's no third choice. So those who follow Hagar are people who believe that religion and good works is enough. They're people who believe that if you have good morals and you go to church and you give a five every now and again, you're going to be forgiven and God is going to be happy and you're going to go to heaven. Those who follow Sarah are the people who reject self-effort and they have chosen to believe what God says even though it flies in the face of everything that makes sense and what every, everybody else might believe. They walk by faith. And so all of this brings Paul's allegorical interpretation to the point of practical application. So this is where the rubber meets the road. Galatians 4, verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. He's writing to the churches of Galatia and saying to these fellow Christians there in Galatia, you, brothers, are, are, are like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. 
But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And so, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So you've got these two mothers and two sons and two covenants and two cities and two mountains. And oh my goodness, this is hard to understand. Don't throw your hands up in despair. God illumines the scriptures to our minds and our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can understand the meaning of the text which is the same today as it was back when Paul penned it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the meaning of the text does not change from generation to generation. However, the application of the text does. Two mothers, two sons, two covenants, two cities. And the question is, to which of these two do you belong? That's the question. Paul wants us to see that by the promise of God, we can be free sons and free daughters of Sarah by faith in Christ alone. He calls us brothers because just like Isaac, we too are children of promise through faith in Christ. And if we are children of promise, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we are not children of works and we are not children of God by self-effort and we are not children of God by human choice. We have received a promise, and there's nothing that we have done to earn it or deserve it. It's a gift. How many times we say that, and we don't really believe it? (laughs) It's a gift. If we are followers of Jesus by faith, then we are part of this new covenant, and our home is in the Jerusalem above. We're just waiting for the new heavens and the new earth to be revealed. Woohoo! Bring it on. We're ready. We're ready. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So an important first step, an important first step in the application of this text to our lives is to ask ourselves honestly, am I a a son or a daughter of promise? Am I truly a child of promise? Do I actually, do I really, do I authentically belong to Jesus and does he belong to me? Are you still a slave to sin or are you free in Christ? Get that settled first. That's the first question. That's the first point of application. We need to ask God for His gift of free grace so that our eyes can be opened so that we can repent of our sin, which is absolutely necessary, and so that we can believe in Jesus Christ by faith, which is absolutely necessary in order to be born again by the power of God's Spirit. So ask God for His grace if you've not done that before. A second step in the application of this passage is just to enjoy the promise. Stop long enough to smell the steaks on the barbecue. You thought I was going to say smell the flowers, right? I'm not much for flowers. I'm I'm big on steak. Enjoy the promise. You are children of promise if you trust in Jesus Christ. So enjoy your position. Just enjoy it. Enjoy your status with God. Enjoy your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy it. That's a good step of application, I think, in this text. I really do. Frank Lloyd Wright is a renowned architect Uh, who talks about an incident that took place in his young life that really shaped uh, his philosophy of life. The winter in which he was nine years old, 
he walked across a snow-covered field with his no-nonsense, straight-laced, reserved uncle. And as the two of them reached the far end of the field, the uncle stopped and said, Frank, have a look at these tracks. You see how mine are straight and narrow and true? I started there. It's a straight line to where we are here. You, on the other hand, look at your tracks, he said. Your tracks wander aimlessly from the fence to the cattle to the woods and back again. See now how my tracks compare to yours? They aim straight at the goal. There's an important lesson for you in that, Frank. Years later, when he was talking to an audience, Frank Lloyd Wright told of his experience that greatly contributed to his philosophy of life. And he said to his audience with a twinkle in his eye, I determined right then and there not to miss most things in life like my uncle had. (laughs) Don't miss the grace of God. Please don't miss the joy and the reward that comes with living in grace and walking in grace every day. Get lost in the promise. Wander in the fields of God's great grace and just enjoy Him. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A third step in the application of this passage is to realize that belonging to God's family means that you're likely to experience persecution of some form or another. That kind of brings the room down, doesn't it? (laughs) From talking about enjoying God's grace, wander in the fields of God's grace, and oh yeah, by the way, you're going to get persecuted. Bam! (laughs) Verse 29, but you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. See, these two siblings were rivals. And Paul's point here is that Christians should expect exactly the same kind of treatment from the world that Isaac received from his big brother. Persecution. We are children of promise by faith in Jesus Christ. Woohoo! But we're also going to experience persecution of, of some type because of our faith. Jesus said so. John 16, 33. Let's read this verse out loud together. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You've overcome the world so that even though we go through these tribulations, He's overcome. So we're on the winning team. Might as well start waving the flag now. You know, we've won. We're winners because he's a winner. Uh, Fourth step in this application of this passage is to deal with legalism whenever it pops up. That's the implication, I think, of verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So it's a not not too subtle way for Paul to say that the Galatians needed to drive the Judaizers out of the church along with their legalism. 
It has no place in the church. You know, many manufacturers nowadays, uh, because of the threat of lawsuits, put ridiculously obvious warning labels on their products. Have you noticed some of you are smiling and nodding your head? Um, One company sells electric shavers for men. Warning label says, never use while sleeping. (laughs) True story. Another label on a baby stroller. Remove child before folding. (laughs) Label on a brass fishing lure. Harmful if swallowed. (laughs) I mean, ridiculously obvious, right? But sometimes our attempt to control people in the church with man-made rules and regulations which have nothing to do with Scripture is just as ridiculous as some of these warning labels. If salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone, then the church cannot tolerate salvation by works. We cannot tolerate it. Because that's another gospel and there really is no other gospel. And we need to take a firm stand against legalism in our church and against any other false doctrine of salvation. And we will be loving and kind to everybody, but if you're in error when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, we will take you aside and have a little talk. Because it's that important to us. What God has done for us in Christ Jesus is to offer free salvation to every slave of sin who comes to Him in faith and trusts in Jesus. And then by His grace, He sets us free to enjoy this amazing grace for the rest of our lives. And that's something to sing about, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. Would you pray with me now? Dear Heavenly Father, our hearts are just filled, overflowing with 